you got hit this morning, you need to get better uh, reflexes. I should have waited till about 20 minutes, and then when you get those people to start snoozing. Now we're going to throw footballs. Whack! Oh, it's a great day to be alive, isn't it? And for those of you that want a dead, dull, dry church, you came to the wrong place. We don't mind having fun and uh, having a good time. And it's not always uh, this serious thing, but we, we take God's Word serious, but we still want to have good connections with each other. Um, in that bag, you're going to find a, a little slip in there that has a 90-day has on the front. And so for the next 90 days, starting today, and this will end in December, we just want to encourage you to find a new way to connect with this local body. Uh, maybe you're somebody that you only attend Sunday morning, and, um, and that's great. We, we love that you're here, but that's pretty hard when we have hundreds of people to know the people around you. So maybe you need to try out a life group. Maybe you need to try out a Wednesday night. Maybe you need to try out another uh, a time where you can get to new, know a, a new group of people. Uh, or find a new place to serve. We've got all these tables set up that are the different various ministries of new life and, and what is required to, to join in those things. And what a great opportunity that we can find a way to serve. And it's not every day or even every week, but find a new way to serve not only the body, but maybe the community or your, your fellow man, somebody that, that needs you to serve. And then lastly, to give. Uh, and this is a, this is a tough one. I, I know things are tough, and it's summertime, and gas prices go up, and heating uh, and, air, and air conditioning go up and all of that. But if you haven't become a giver yet, take this opportunity. And, and I'm, a, uh, I'm an equal opportunity person, which means that, it, you know, uh, the Bible says 10% is your tithe, which is where you should start, but I believe that that's tough for some people, but 1% is better than 0%. And so if you haven't become a giver yet, maybe today's the day you say, hey, I'm going to trust God with 1%, 2%, 3%, whatever. You need to pray about that and ask what percent to start with. If you're somebody that's already tithing, thank God. Thank you for being obedient to what the Word says. But maybe you can support missions. Maybe you need to find a missionary. Maybe you support a ministry within the church. Uh, again, God loves us to be great givers, and it's an opportunity not just of our time uh, and, our, and our talents, but also of our money. And that's where it hits us hard is when we say, oh man, well, I, don't, I don't have a lot of money. Most of us have more than we think we do. We just spend it in ways that don't have eternal value. Uh, you know, I know that it's uh, five bucks for a Starbucks drink. Give up, give up one a week, just one a week. Think about that. Just one drink a week, you'll survive. You may be grouchy at work, but you'll survive, right? It's just those little tweaks that get us started on a path because God, just listen, I want you to be blessed. This isn't about the decimal point or about some greedy plan to get more money. This is where God blesses us. He says, if you'll trust me, I will open the windows of heaven, and I will bless you. But if you don't, then it says that you inherit a curse. And I don't want you to be cursed. <laughs> that stuff blows through your pocket fast enough as it is. You don't want the curse on you. Okay? So find a place that you can give. Again, there's lots of places on your tithing envelope, areas where you can uh, decide, hey, I think I'm going I'm to give $5 a month to Israel. 
awesome. That's $5 more than you were given before. It's not about the amount. It's about the heart. Right? We good with that? Everybody cool? All right, good. Let's get into this this morning. Uh, also, if you get the chance after service, not, not only the tables, but stop by the little photo wall out there that's covered with the football uh, mural and get some pics that you can post to Instagram and Facebook and, and get all your jerseys and all that stuff. But uh, we're going to talk about team this morning. So we're going to talk about the components of a team to get started. And don't check out on me. We're going to get to the Bible, but I'm just trying to set the tone for us so that you understand here. So we're in football season, so I'm using a football team here. So the components of a football game, if you've ever been to a football game, there's certain components of this game. So first of all, there's the owner, which isn't you, right? It's God. God is our owner. Then we've got a general manager, and that's Jesus. Then we've got a head coach, and that's the Holy Spirit. And we've got assistant coaches, and that's the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. And again, uh, relating this all back to the Bible. And then we've got the players, all these various people from different places that have been called, that have met the requirements, and they've actually made the team. Just this last week, uh, every NFL team had to pare down their, their huge team from 70, 80, 100 players down to 53 players. They made the team. Now, I always wonder what happened to the people that had the Seahawk jersey but didn't make the team. They're still not part of the team. They're just like you and me. We've got a jersey now, but they didn't make the team. <laughs> They'll probably go on to get another jersey someplace else. And then there's referees. These are overseers. Elders, bishops, the Bible says. And then there's spectators. These are the people who are interested in the team, but they only watch. They like to critique. And they're not part of the team. We've got to understand that spectators are not part of the team, right? Now, the great thing is this morning, even though you're sitting here, and yeah, you may be watching me or watching the screen, it doesn't mean you're a spectator, but the spectator is the one that say, I just watch from outside. I don't actually do anything in this team. I'm actually not part of the team. And these are the people that usually can find all the faults in the team. I mean, hey, we've got a whole world of armchair quarterbacks, right? Oh, why'd he make that pass? Why'd they do this run? Why'd they do that? Well, because you're not on the field. You've never been there on the team. You didn't make the practices. You haven't had to do all that. And it's very easy to sit in your lazy boy recliner with your uh, drink and your chips, your nachos, and critique a game that you've never played. But that's not what I want for you. I believe that when we get invested, when we make a decision, hey, I want to be part of that team. And it doesn't mean that you have to be a professional pastor or any of that, but God invites us all to be part of his team. He's the owner. He's the one that drafts us. He's the one that says, I have called you. I have loved you. I chose you before you chose me. That's pretty awesome that God, God of the universe, the creator said, I want you. I want you on my team. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty incredible. That, that should make us feel like, Wow, why, why would he want me? You know why? You've got gifts. You've got talents. You've got something to add to this team, but you can never add it to the team if you're just a spectator. And the difference between a spectator and a player is you get off the bench and you actually get into the game. You actually begin to do something. You, you become part of the team of God. He's called us 
And the goal of every team, as we, as we shared earlier, is to win. Jesus came to seek and save those that are lost. That's our job as well. That's what the team is all about. It's not about just getting together in a big huddle and, woo, we got our jerseys, and isn't this great, and when do they pay us? We've got a job to do. And we're all supposed to work together on this team instead of working apart or working individually. He's made us so that all of our individual units, all of our individual skills come together to work well. But there's a couple of questions here we need to go for. And, and so if you're new to our church or maybe you've been here for a while but you've never asked these questions, you need to ask yourself these questions. If you really want to be part of the team, then you've got to ask yourself some of these questions. Here's the first one. Where do I want to go in this faith? I'm saved now. Jesus has called me. Where do I want to go with this? Because believe me, to stop at salvation, you sell yourself short. Salvation is the beginning, not the end of your faith. And for far too many people, they stop at salvation. I'm saved. And then they're never part of the team. God wants you to be part of the team. The question is, where do you want to go with this? What do you want to see with your life? How do you want to see your faith grow? What do you want to see in your relationships? How do you want your life to be? Where do you want it to go? Secondly, where's the team going? I can tell you that. We want to build great relationships with the people around us. We've got a desire to see everybody in Cowlitz County saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, we do that by loving people. We do that by serving people. We have days where we celebrate it like this. But that's just a plan, but our goal is to win people for Jesus Christ, not to just have a fun time together. I believe we can have a fun time together, but we have a goal. We want to create disciples. A younger generation needs to see how we worship, how we give, how we pray, how we play, how we treat each other. That's discipleship. It's not a class that we take. But do you want to go there, or do you want to just be saved and then check out? Good question. Do you want to go where the team wants to go? Now, can you imagine this in an NFL team? The defense says, I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's kind of cold in Denver this, this time of year. I don't want to go. What happens to that team? Or they play in California. Man, it's too hot to play today. You made a, a decision to go with the team. You're going to ride on the bus together. You're going to ride on the plane together. You're going to get in the team huddle together. You're going to meet in the locker room before the game. You're going to be part of the team, and you got to choose whether you're going to do that or not. We may have drafted you, but you choose whether you're going to sign up with us or not. Just like with God. I paid for all of you, he says. Now you decide if you want to be part of the team or not. And then fourthly, do you believe the leadership is competent to take you there? Not all churches have a plan to go forward, and it's, it, they just meet together, and, and that's okay. Every different church is a different church, but we have a plan. We want you to be involved. We invite you to come and be part of the vital ministry. We have a great church here, and you should want to be part of this. The world is already isolated enough as it is. We already have way too much individualism, and it's tearing us apart, not just as a church, but as a country. We've got to come back to the place where we say we're going to come together as one. Not through a political slogan, not through legislation. How about we get our values connected and we say, hey, there's something bigger than me out there. There's something worth investing in. Not just money, but time and my energy, my emotions. And that's what this is all about. Because at the end of the day, 
Either you like to play on the team or you don't, and there's not enough money <laughs> to make you want to do it. And you can see that. I used to coach football. And I, I, one of the things I, I learned early on is you can't coach passion. There are people that have natural skill, but you can't coach passion. <laughs> somebody that loves to play, somebody that wants to be good, somebody that wants to win, you can't coach that. That's a hard issue. It's the same way in Christianity. If you're here out of guilt or shame or some fear of hell, you've got the wrong team. This is about passionately following Jesus Christ and saying, thank you that you saved me and now my life is yours. And I want to be here and I want to serve you because guilt will wear off. That's why they make it hard for football. I mean, they don't need to do two practices a day. They don't need to go early in the morning, which teenagers hate. You know why? They want to see who was on the team. And if you look hard enough at any church, you're going to find some mess. You're going to find some people you don't like. You're going to find some people you don't relate to. And that's just part of life. But guess what? That doesn't change that we're still a team loved and saved by Jesus Christ. And you don't have to be best friends with the people in your row or your aisle or your section, but we can work together through a common cause to serve Jesus Christ and focus on Him and not on our individuality. We're here as one. And the Bible talks about this, and, and maybe you've never seen the concept of team. He uses body or, or whatever, but we're going to turn there right now. It's going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, New Testament. Right after Galatians, Paul is speaking to the church at Ephesus, and there's a bunch of people that God has, has recruited, but they're struggling. And he breaks it down to make it pretty simple so that they, they understand how to do this, how to, how, to, how to make the team, so to speak. Now, I've put a label up here. I want you to understand that there are all kinds of teams, but what we're after is a healthy team. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that healthy teams never lose. Sometimes healthy teams lose. But the reality is, even like healthy churches, there are some churches, all they think about is numbers. All they think about is the income. All they think about is this or that. We're after being healthy. We want you to be strong, healthy Christians. And if we've got that right, we're doing well. Because we can have thousands in here of individuals that don't love each other and don't serve God, and it could be a large church, but we're not healthy. And we can be small, 25 people, and we all know each other's business, but there's a lot of infighting and crowded mess going on, and it's not healthy. What we're after is being a healthy team. And that means that we've got to rightly relate with God, and we've got to rightly relate with each other. And this whole concept, and if this is you this morning, just, just take the... Take the discipline to hear it and let it sink into your heart. If you're one of these people that it's like, hey, it's just me and God, we're good, you're half wrong. You are made to interact with the people around you. You are made to serve the people around you. You are made to love the people around you. And yes, it's tough because they are weird. And they're not you. And they don't do things like you do. And they don't do things when you do them or how you would do them. That's where grace and forgiveness kicks in. And we can come together as a team and do nothing but bump heads. 
And again, passionate people may do a lot of head bumping until they get focused on the goal. And then we realize, hey, we want good chemistry, and we can take all these passionate people and point them towards the goal. And the goal is not to fill seats. The goal is not big buildings. The goal is not rooting for the Seahawks. The goal is to have a great relationship with Jesus Christ and to bring others into that relationship as well. And if we'll focus on that, then a bunch of the fighting and all the distractions, just like this week, uh, fires, oh my gosh, fires, oh, earthquake down here, oh my gosh, earthquake, oh, there's flooding and a hurricane in, in Texas, and wait, there's flooding and a hurricane in, in Miami. And if you had to look at all of those, it gets very distracting. And that's what happens is we lose sight of what the most important thing is, even in church. And the most important thing is following Jesus Christ. That's the main thing. So let's keep the main thing the main thing, all right? And if, again, this is not about being an extrovert or an introvert. Introverts love God, serve God. They may not be loud and they may not have a huge crowd, but they are still designed to relate with other people. But I've heard people say, I, I love God, I just hate the church. Well, the church was his idea. God wants us to be in love with the people around us. And when you begin to cut off the people around you because you don't like them, you can't stand them, they're different, then you are very different than him as well. And it's about a right chemistry. So here we go. Here's what he's saying. Therefore, I, Paul, I'm a prisoner for serving the Lord, and I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Now, we're going to stop right there. We're going to do some breakdown this morning, a little bit of teaching, preaching, whatever you want to call it. He says, first off, if you're going to be part of this team, you need to walk worthy. That doesn't mean that you have to be perfect. Aren't you glad for that this morning? <laughs> okay? We've got Packers fans among us. But they're with us. Right? We've got Alabama fans. We even have people wear baseball jerseys. But they're with us, right? The most important part of this is that we learn how to walk worthy of this calling. Who did the calling? He did. He chooses the team. Now think about this. If you, if you can get this for just a minute. God, in his sovereignty, chose the weird, wacky, backwards people that you're sitting next to for this church. He chose them to be here among you. And it's not to punish you, but maybe to get you to step out of your self-centeredness, your pride, your inward focus, and begin to look outward and say, hey, there's some really great people around me, and they're very different than me, but they're still really great people. And walking just means living, just means practicing. I want you to walk in a way that would honor God, for you've been called by God. Did you know that on every team they have a code of conduct? So that you don't hurt yourself and you don't hurt the team. God has a code of conduct, too. This is walking worthy. So that you don't hurt yourself and you don't hurt the team. You're not going to hurt God. You can't hurt God, but you can hurt yourself 
and you can hurt the team. He says you need to learn to walk worthy in a way. How do we do that? Verse 2. And I hate, I hate the Bible sometimes because it's so specific and it gets me right where I want some gray area. And he uses this word, always. You know what that means? Even when I don't feel like it. Always means when I'm tired and cranky and grumpy and hungry and fed up. Always means always. And what's he telling me I'm supposed to always be? Humble. Which means I don't think it's all about me. There's people in church, people on teams, they think it's all about them. That's not humility. And it causes friction. Causes problems. Be humble. And humble doesn't mean, oh, I'm so horrible. I'm... That's not what God's saying either. There's an incredible scripture in the Old Testament that, again, if it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, which it is, and it's true, and it is, that Moses is writing the scriptures in the Old Testament, and he says, and Moses was the most humble man on the earth. Now, how humble do you have to be to write that you're the most humble man on the earth? But it wasn't a lie. And so you can say, I'm humble. And that doesn't preclude you from being humble, but it's a heart issue. Because there are some people that say, no, no, it's not about me, but in their heart saying, please applaud. I need more. It is about me. And we see this even in football, right? Somebody runs the ball back and they're like, and I'm thinking, now the world may say, oh, look, he must be a Christian. He's pointing to God. Or he may be just saying, yep, I'm number one. <laughs> It's all about me. Did you see me run that ball back? Did you see how fast I ran? Did you see me carry that ball? Did you see my stats go up? Did you see my fantasy league? Because the reality is no matter how much of this we see, we see what their character's like the rest of the time. We should be humble and gentle. That doesn't mean we don't have strength, and it doesn't mean that we're weak, and it doesn't mean we have to put up with a bunch of mess, but when people aren't like you, we can learn to be gentle. Right? Now, I'm at, it's a little before lunch, but I'll tell this story because it's, it's cute. I have a beautiful little granddaughter named Whitney. Uh, I know you've probably never seen pictures of her or anything. Um, we rarely ever put pictures of her out. But do you know how much stronger I am than her? But because I love her, I restrain my strength. And it doesn't mean I'm weak. The other day, she was having some nasal problems, and so I looked at her nose, and I said, you've got a booger. And she's almost two, and she's fascinated with boogers right now. She and I are in good company. <laughs> no lie. You ready for this? And again, I would never tolerate this from another person, not even my wife that I love. But my granddaughter that I love, I can restrain my strength. She reaches up to her nose, pulls out her booger, and puts it in my nose. <laughs> because she wanted to share Now, church, I love you, but we're not sharing boogers. There are people 
that aren't like you. They're not at your maturity level. They're not at your social level. They're not at your marriage level. They're not. And we, ha- we can either critique them or we learn to be gentle and realize God's still working on them just like he's working on us, right? Everybody's walking a different path, but hopefully we're all following Jesus. And we don't always have to understand what's going on, but we can still be humble and gentle with the people around us, and that will cause 90% of the mess to go away and helps forge a great team. What else he says? Be patient with each other. Make allowance for each other's faults. Listen, he's expecting that you've got some faults, and as another human being, we're experts of picking out somebody else's faults. He even tells them there's going to be people that have faults. But be patient with them. It's easy to point out the problem. Any idiot can do that. But he says, because of your love, be patient. Be patient with each other. Expect that they're not perfect yet. Expect that they're going to make mistakes. Expect that there may be some failure and be patient with it. Anybody can say, you failed. Now what? (laughs) Verse 3, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourself together with peace. Look what he's saying. Instead of letting these differences pull you apart, make every effort to get closer and closer. Think about binding. You ever play that three-legged race when you're a kid where they tie your legs together and how awkward that feels? And then when the kids get it, it doesn't slow them down at all, does it? They run just like they normally run. But if they don't get it, they trip, they fall, they hurt, they... They're going to come in last. He's like, we've got to learn to bind each other together so that when we see that gap, we decrease it instead of increase it. That's what makes a good team. We have to work toward unity. Unity is like gravity. It's going to pull us together, but if we don't work on it, all of our differences can pull us apart, and we can get unfocused. You see, I believe that most of the church problems that happens and church splits that happen and painful experience of people is when the church gets off focus and they stop focusing on God and they start focusing on people. And pretty soon it's like, well, he's not perfect and she did that and did you hear what he did last week? And who cares if everybody focused on you all week, what would happen? Probably wouldn't like what had to be said. Or we'd be patient. We be humble. We try to bind each other together and strengthen each other through those things. And these things can either break us apart or they can make us stronger. Verse 4, look what he's saying. There's only one body, right? One team. God only has one team. They meet in all different locations, but it's still one team. We're not the only church out there. And there's one spirit, and we've been called to one hope for the future. There's one Lord, one faith. Do you hear that one word over and over again? One, 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 right? And in a world that almost demands for you to be an individual, God says, you are an individual, but I've called you all to be one. 
united by me, united by what's important to me, finding my values, loving each other, learning how to be patient, learning how to be gentle. And when we come together, just like that acronym team, together everyone achieves more. I can only do so much, but together we could do a lot. We can get some stuff done. But there's one God, one Father. He is over all of us and in all of us and living through all of us. We need to stay focused on the important part, which is honoring God and trying to win souls. If we'll keep those two things in perspective, we won't have time to mess around with all this other stuff. Now he moves on, verse 11. He talks about ascending on high and, and taking things captive and and, and he's just trying to help the church understand there. But let's go back to the components of this healthy team. He didn't just say, okay, we've got all these players, but we, we need some, some way to direct these players. Look what he says. Now, here's the gifts that Christ gave to the church. Here's, here's the assistant coaches. And, and make no mistake, I am not the head coach. That's the Holy Spirit's job. He's the one that's going to guide and direct the church. Right? But he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers all different, all different components, all different ways of doing things, but they're all working for God to win his people in different ways. And we could say, well, why didn't he just give one? And it, because there's different needs for different times and different places and different people. Because God loves diversity, but he wants to bring the diversity into one body. So he's given these people as these assistant coaches, and they've got a job too. They're not just to sit around and say, hey, look at me, I'm an assistant coach. Assistant coaches get hired for a reason. What are they supposed to do? Verse 12, their responsibility is to do what? Equip, right? To equip God's people, to equip the team to do his work. Now, please don't mistake this for negativity this morning. I'm just saying that some people don't don't get this. Sometimes pastors, pastor, prophets, all these, these assistant coaches, they think that it's God's job to do their work. But the Bible doesn't say that, does it? My job is to equip you to do His work. And His work is about seeking and saving the lost. We get confused when it becomes about our work because that builds man-made stuff, man-made structures, and that's temporal. That only lasts for so long, and it may seem like it's good, but when we do His work, it's eternal, and it's awesome, and it truly changes lives. Our job is not about selling books. Our job is not about selling Tupperware. Our job is not about having new carpet or choosing paint colors. Our job is to help you do His work right where you work. As an electrician, as a mom, as a teacher, as a bus driver, as a mill worker, right there you're still doing his work at your work. That's pretty awesome. Because imagine how different your life would be if he says we all have to become pastors, prophets, teachers, evangelists. Well, I'm not called for that. I, and if you're not called for that, then you're still a member of the team to do his work work. Now, how you do his work, that's very different. What a lineman does is different than a skill player and a quarterback or a cornerback. All these different players on the team, but they're still got one team, still got one goal, right? Just like you, just like me. 
I am not better than any of you. I just have a different job, a different calling. But I'm still a part of a team. And I don't get to say, well, I don't have to be, I don't have the same team values. I better have the same team values or there's going to be problems. Look what he says. Their job is to do this, to do the work and build up the church, which means to get people strengthened, to make them into the body of Christ, just like Jesus did by choosing 12 very different people and trying to fuse them together into a team. We've got hundreds of people from different backgrounds, different ages, different faiths, different everything, and our job is to help pull us all together to be one team. Not to make you like me, but to make you into the team God wants us to be however he sees fit to do that. And we keep doing this. Notice when this is going to stop. This is going to continue until we all come to what? To such unity in our faith and the knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Do you know when that will be, according to to my reading of the Bible? when he comes back to get us. Because until then, we're working on stuff in our life, and we're not full and complete yet. Now, if you're here this morning, you're saying, Pastor, you've made a big misstep there. I am full and complete. Um, You're wrong. You may be full of something, but it's not the completeness of God. We have all got sin in our life. We have all got failures and weak areas and stuff that we walk through and we're getting stronger and things that we learn to say no to and things that we're still struggling with. And if we're really honest, and that's me, I'm honest, there's stuff I'm still struggling with. There's stuff I find every day that I'm like, man, I wish he didn't say that. (laughs) I wish he didn't have that expectation because now I know I got more work to do. And there's also some areas that I've been able to put in my back pocket and say, I got that now. I'm learning this. I I can read the Bible now on my own. I know how to pray. I know how to do this and this. But perfect? That's not until he comes back and we're all changed. And then there'll be no more work needed. We'll be done and changed into the very likeness of Jesus Christ. And until then, we work together as a team trying to get his work done. Trying to get his work done. Let's wrap this up. Man, I'm flying. This is awesome. Maybe I'm the only one who thinks so, but that's all right. Here we go. Yay, team. When we get to this point, look what he says. When we finally come together as a team, again, perfection isn't the goal, but when we finally come together as a team, then we will no longer be what? Immature. Well, she said, and he said, and I'm taking my ball, and I'm going home. Well, the team is less because of you. You left. You're causing problems. You got your unders in a, in a knot. You've got issues. Deal with it. We've all got issues. This is why we love, and we're gentle, and we're kind, and we realize this is the process of becoming a team. And if we really value the team, then sometimes our individual needs go on the back burner to value the team. We'll no longer be immature like children. I don't want to play anymore. You get to make that choice, but it hurts the team. 
and you don't get tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. Well, this church has got this, and this church has got this. And since we're all one team, but this team's counting on you. <laughs> Do you understand? Yes, you're still part of God's family. And again, we bless the people that have been part of our family, and God has called them other places. They haven't left us. They're still part of the family, but we can't depend on them anymore for this team. But when you go to every other church every other Sunday, you're not part of anybody's team. You are a liability, not only to yourself, but to people that may be thinking, I wonder if they'll be on our team. Yep, for a week. And Maybe that's hard, but some of you, you need to get some roots and learn to get a little bit of thicker skin and realize there's some people here that don't like you, but you can still love them. Everybody sitting here today, I love you, but there's some people here, I don't even want to ride to Kelso with you. But I would because I love you, but it wouldn't be the thing I think, huh, I wonder who I could call up today and take a long drive. Do you know what I'm saying? And that's just reality. We don't have to be each other's best friend to be a team. We can have our differences and tolerate each other and be patient with each other. But it doesn't mean that we have to take long walks on the beach or enjoy lunch every day or any of that stuff, but we can still love each other with the love of Jesus Christ. But the more you keep jumping around, you're hurting yourself. You're hurting yourself. And then you fall prey. He says that pretty soon you get influenced by people that try to trick you with lies that sound like the truth. Instead, we're going to speak the truth in love. That's what I'm trying to do this morning. I'm trying to be funny this morning. This can be a hard topic. But the truth is we have to choose the team and we have to choose Jesus as valuable. And again, the fact that he has forgiven us and he's preparing a place in heaven for us, that he's switched us from going to hell to going to heaven, that he's given us the opportunity to have right, really good relationships, all for dying on the cross. We didn't give him anything. And it's not a debt to be paid so much. It's just the honor of having to serve Jesus Christ. And there are certain coaches out there that guys want to play for. And there are certain coaches out there that nobody wants to play for, and they're just doing it for the paycheck. I even saw that in the medical field. I worked with some really great nurses, and I worked for some nurses that were just there for the money. And most of the patients can tell the difference. And if you're a Christian that's all about you, most of the other Christians around you can tell the difference, no matter what you say. Don't be tricked. We're going to speak the truth in love. We need to grow up and grow in to be more like Christ. You see, that's our goal, is to be more like Him. And that takes us rubbing against each other. Have you ever seen one of these guys that, you know, probably good with his hands, but here's a guy that takes this huge block of wood and he powers up his chainsaw and cuts something out of it. I'm thinking, that's impressive. I'm just using a chainsaw, and pretty soon you're thinking, what is this going to be? And a little while into it, a little while into it, a little ways working, working, pretty soon he's got like a grizzly bear. 
how does they do that? I, don't, I couldn't do that. I mean, I know how to cut wood with a chainsaw, but to do that? And the trick from what I've heard is you just cut away everything that doesn't look like a grizzly bear. Sounds simple, right? <laughs> but did you know Jesus is doing the same thing with us? He's trying to rub off and take away everything that doesn't look like him. And that's why we need the people around us. You see, when it's just me and God, it's private, and nobody knows what's going on in my life. But when I get exposed to people and their tendencies, the good and the bad, it brings out stuff in me, and then I know what I need to work on. <laughs> and God's just trying to shape each one of us to remove the us, not to destroy our individuality, but to make us look more like Him. And I'll tell you why. It's not because he's egocentric and everything's perfect that looks like Jesus. I don't know what Jesus looks like. But we'll have really great lives the more our lives look like Jesus. It's not the outward, that part of the life. But the more of our selfishness, the more of our self-centeredness, the more of our greed and our pride and our shame and our guilt, the more of that that he trims off, we begin to live really great lives, become really great friends, become really great marriage partners, become really great workers, and have really wonderful lives that are full and abundant. Because the more of that stuff that's in us, the more squabbles we have, the more conflict that we have, the more pain that we have, the more hurt we acquire. And I'm telling you, just this crowd today, there's some people that are still broken by stuff that happened in your past. And you can either let it sit there and blame God, or you can say, God, there's some of this that's got to get rubbed off. <laughs> and it may seem harsh when God fires up the chainsaw called church <laughs> and people and begins to rub off some of your sharp edges. <laughs> but that's why we're here for each other. To build grace, build humility, build patience and love. Let's wrap this up. Look what he says. Not only do we want to be more like God, not so that we can be perfect and set ourselves apart, but he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Think about that. You're an amazing piece of this puzzle that he's, he's fitting you and he's shaping you so that you will blend in. There'll be people around you and over you and in you and, and by you. And as each part does its own special work, look at you're still special. You're still you. But you being the best you through Jesus Christ has some amazing outcome. Look what happens. Pretty soon the whole body gets healthy. Think about that. When you get healthy and you help other people get healthy, the body gets healthier. When we get more connected, when we serve more and we give more, when we're people that care about each other, the body is more healthy. In your marriage, when you care about it, you can stay married and live in separate rooms and have separate bank accounts and drive separate cars and see the kids on separate days and never be divorced. But are you together? But just because we sit in this room doesn't mean that we're healthy yet. And so the more that we get together, the more we find out how healthy we can be, the better off we're going to be.
And then growth begins to happen. Because I'll tell you, church, nobody out there this morning that's sitting at home prepping for football knows who I am or cares about what I'm saying. But when they see how much we love each other, that's contagious. When, you, when they see that you take it out of this place and that's how you work and that's how you cheer on your team and that's how you treat your friends and that's how you go out to dinner and that's how you treat your husband or your wife and that's how you raise your kids, they want to know what's up with you. They want to see, how do I have that kind of a life? Where do you get that kind of hope? How do you have that kind of faith? How can you be so solid when the world seems to be rocking so much? How can you have a, a marriage? We've got a couple here that have been married 62 years to the same two people. That is awesome. I don't know how they do it. And I'm sure that everything hasn't been rainbows and roses. Because what little of their story I know, they've suffered some tragedy and hard prayer times and loss and transition and change. But they've got great kids and grandkids and great grandkids. And I'm so thankful that are in our midst to be a glowing beacon that it can be done. Not easy, but it can be done. And when I have a question, when I reach the 30-year mark, and I may say, whew, I got somebody I can go to that says, we were there. <laughs> you can make it another 30 years. Not easy, but what he's called us to. Let's review real quick. What's the components of a healthy team? You want a healthy marriage? You want healthy friendships? You want all that stuff? Here's what it takes. Walk worthy. Let's decide to be a Bible-believing, practicing follower of Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. Just do what the Bible says. Not ultra-strict. It's not legalism, but it's also not ultra-grace that you can do what you want. We just say, oh, it doesn't matter. It does matter. Walk worthy. Be humble and gentle. Remember that God values relationships. Your relationship with Him and the relationship with the people around you talks about it a lot. Be patient. Not everybody's where you're at. Not everybody is perfect. Everybody's got faults. Stay united. It's easy today to get distracted and defensive and offended and bail and become just about me. It's work. He says make every effort. You got to work to stay united to keep the peace. And then remember that you're one. You've been called to a big team. He loves you, but he loves you enough not to leave you alone, and he brought you to a team. <laughs> this is how we learn together better. This is how we defend each other better. This is how we pray together. This is how we learn to be mature and practice what he says that we should do. It's easy to be a Christian on your own, <laughs> but you usually don't get mature. <laughs> You usually don't have any fruit. It's just me and God. But you know what? I heard this just this week. I can cheat when it's just me and God. It's like being on a diet by yourself, right? 
you could eat the whole pan of brownies, and who knows? But you got a partner, somebody's checking in on you that notices the dirty brownie pan in the sink? How about somebody that doesn't even let you buy the brownies? That's a good friend. But we're one. And whether you like it or not, or whether it's your personality or not, God has made us to be together, not apart. To be a team. To find our place to connect, to find our place to serve. Because it's not about you, it's about us. And you're an important part of us. Amen? Would you stand up with me this morning?